The 360 on Energy and Carbon, hosted by 360 Energy. Tepesh Mystery is the COO at VEDA, a regenerative farming company where he joined as a founding employee in 2020. Tepesh has worked across Canada, the US, and the UK in the climate and digital sectors, and now calls Toronto home. Prior to VEDA, Tepesh helped build and launch new ventures for Koru, a venture studio, after several years at the Boston Consulting Group working with Fortune 500 companies around the world. Now let's get into the episode with Depeche. Welcome back, Dave, John, and our guest Depeche, COO at VEDA. Well, thank you. And Depeche, thanks for joining us again. Looking forward to this session. And John, I'm back still in here. Canada. Yes. <laughs> still here. Yes. Are we keeping you here, John, for a bit? Yeah, I'm here for a while and I'm enjoying it. It's great. In, in our last podcast, we were messing around with terms like climate friendly agriculture and the term regenerative farming cropped up. And I know both in Europe and North America, this term regenerative farming appears to be gaining some sort of usage. But what is it? What is regenerative farming? That's a great question. And I get asked that question all the time, both from folks that are in the industry and, and also folks outside the industry. So regenerative farming, the way that we look at it at VEDA is it's a system of farming that seeks continuous improvement on a very broad base of outcomes. And so those outcomes include productivity and profitability, soil health, water quality and water use, biodiversity and inputs. So the idea is that you're you're looking at measures of outcomes beyond just productivity and profitability, but including productivity and profitability, and then adding all these other indicators that that would be, you know, maybe more environmental in nature. So soil health, water, et cetera. And the idea is that those are kind of the general outcomes that that you know we drive for and we strive for. There are also a series of you know principles which would then be applied to make those outcomes possible. So some of those principles include keeping your soil covered year round. So you kind of have an active plant or root in the soil, you know, 365 days of the year, uh, including more diversity in your rotations. So, you know, just having general increased crop diversity and then also reducing the use of your synthetic inputs and or chemicals over time. So herbicides, pesticides, etc. So like, I think th those are some of the principles, but I think in general, the way, oh, and I forgot one key one, which is reduce soil disturbance. So you don't want to be continuously tilling or having deep tillage. And so I'd say those are like the primary principles that then get applied in different forms and uh, depending on your context and your setup and ultimately leads to those outcomes. Thank you for that. Over to you, Doug. So you may have thought you've answered it. Maybe we have, but let me ask the question. What is the difference between regenerative agriculture and versus traditional agriculture that we know right now per se? Yeah. That's a great question as well. So 
I actually think of regenerative agriculture as more of a natural evolution. And in fact, it's actually an evolution going backwards. <laughs> so it's a lot of the principles of how we used to farm, you know, more than 100 years ago. Uh, and then what happened was we kind of had the green, the green revolution in agriculture. All of these technologies that cropped up allowed us to feed the world, but also had some adverse effects as we're learning now over time. And so really what regenerative regenerative agriculture, you know, and, and the kind of modern application seeks to do is to bring back some of those old school principles and integrate them with the modern production system and technology. And, you know, practically, I think the biggest differences are twofold. I mean, first is the premise to really actively invest in your soil health over the long term and then the second is is having a systems based approach that you know where you're actually working with nature so you're constantly you know getting the feedback of what's happening and then using that information to change how you approach your own management practice so yeah i would say it's more of an evolution it's not like this revolutionary new idea or concept there's there ideas and principles that have been around for a very, very long time. Um, but for a variety of reasons, um, I think our farming community has been kind of encouraged over time to move away from some of those uh, practices and principles. And, and, and so now we're kind of seeing some, some reversal in that trend. Something old is new again, effectively. That's because as you yeah. said, it was a practice that was done. I'm curious though, because you mentioned something, there's a feedback. Is there monitoring that goes on that gives that we, technology that wasn't available before where we can monitor soil health, you know, moisture content? Are we using new technology to help reinforce the old ways of actually regenerative farming? Well, absolutely. And I think the biggest way you can think about or or one way you can think about how technology really helps is, you know, even just think about the scale of the farms. So if you have like a small field or let's say your garden, you know what's happening in your garden, right? So if there's spots you see, you know, maybe there's some weeds that are popping up or maybe this area you've got some grass that's died. You know, you can see everything, right? This, you know, massive farm, thousands of acres you know, you can't possibly be monitoring everything that's going on. And by the way, like that farm is not uniform. There are probably at least a dozen different, you know, soil zones, different soil types, even potentially different subclimates on different parts of the farm, right? And so what technology allows you to do is it actually allows you to listen and to react to what's happening in smaller pockets within the farm, as opposed to needing to take a blanket approach. And, and I think as a broad base, you know, there's obviously multiple different technologies that ladder, into, you know, ladder into that. You mentioned a couple like soil moisture sensors or perhaps even just, you know, if you're measuring soil organic matter or if you're looking at nutrients or above ground measurements as well, like all of those things come together in a package that really helps you manage that farm in a way that, you know, is, let's call it, you know, personalized right, to that individual field and profile and soil type. Okay, I'm, I'm going to take a, just a slightly different way. As, as a business, 
we have this belief that we've got to be able to measure things and report on them. And, you know, we do that with energy, carbon, etc. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's fairly clear from what you've been saying that regenerative agriculture will have benefits for climate change. So here comes the question. How do you go about measuring and reporting the change that regenerative farming's delivering? That's a great question. And there have been a number of people that have been thinking about this question for the last several years, as it's become more important for, you know, folks in the supply chain to understand. And so one such group, I know there's a group in Europe called Global Farm Metric, and they've put out kind of a standard base of metrics that you would look at to assess, you know, improvements on the farm over time. And uh, yeah, so it, it really covers a broad base. You know, some of the top ones that we look at, or at least categories, we look at productivity and profitability. We look at soil health, which includes things like how much carbon is being sequestered in the soil, which is a proxy of organic matter. And then we also look at water, both in terms of, you know, use, but also water quality and kind of surrounding, you know, streams. And then we look at biodiversity improvements. So those are some of the key metrics that that we look at, at least on our own, on our own farm and our own operation as we're tracking uh, the improvements and, and that come from the regenerative system. That, that's that's really interesting because you you have answered the question there, isn't it? That if you're going to do something and you're going to make a change, how are you going to measure what that change is? And and it's interesting the the, the suite of metrics that that are there. And that's yes, that's, that is interesting. Thank thank you for that. Depeche, the I love because you're talking about measurements, and John has already indicated that. But like with regenerative uh, practices, how is that impacting production? So let's talk about the quality of production, but also the quantity of production. Is there information that you can share with us based on what you guys are finding through yeah, regenerative farming? There, there's, there's ongoing work being done and ongoing studies to understand this uh, better. We, in terms of quantity of production, have not seen a material yield loss in the work that we've been doing. There's a number of kind of case studies out there. Some some folks have reported some declines in productivity or yield. Some folks have reported increases. So I think it's a little bit variable there, but we haven't really seen any decline. And then on quality, this one is harder to, 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 to measure. And that's where you have the Rodale Institute that's doing these long-term studies on nutrient density from from kind of regeneratively grown produce or, or, or products versus more conventionally grown. The main difference being soil health and the impact of soil health on the nutrient density in food. And so those studies are ongoing. There are some older ones, though, that, that show, for example, that decline in nutrient density kind of going the other way as the soil quality has declined over time. And so one of the studies, I think, if I remember correctly, showed for example, an orange that you know you may have bought 15 years ago at the grocery store actually had 30% more vitamin C than than perhaps the orange you might buy today. As an example, right? So same orange, 
same same size, but but maybe a little less nutrient content. And a lot of that, and what the studies are trying to show, is that it's it's actually driven from the top layer of of topsoil where where the majority of the nutrients uh, come from. Follow up on that, and I'm not going to get the statistics right, but I was listening to a podcast. This is like probably a year ago or so, and they were talking about how if we didn't change our farming practices, mm-hmm. that effectively the amount of production that we were going to get, the number of years that we had available in our land was limited because the carbon was being depleted in mm-hmm. the soil. And when I heard that, I thought, oh, my God, like if, if we don't change, like we're, like I said, the population's not getting smaller. And if our, is, is there something to that? Like I know you're, you, you have talked mm-hmm. about, but is that a, is that a real scare that if, if we don't change, that it could, our production of land could suffer dramatically if we don't do this properly? Yeah. And I will say, I, 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 I try to keep a, a little, a gentle distance from some of the very, very negative narratives. But I think the one that you're referring to is soil erosion. And so if the, the, the stat there is, if we continue, if the soil you know, keeps eroding at the same pace that it has been, we would no longer have any topsoil left in 60 years. And the reason why that's that's really important is, as I mentioned, um, most of what grows is grown in that in that you know f- several inches of of topsoil, and that's where all the nutrients are and kind of where all the activity is. And and so that I think is the stat the statistic that you're referring to. I think. Right. Uh, Thankfully, on on the on the positive side, I think there's been a lot of at least recognition of of this. I think folks are starting to experience it, and I think this kind of uh, swell of regenerative agriculture, soil health building, I think is happening in different pockets across the world. And I I don't think we will ever get to that point, but it is a possibility if you know if we weren't thinking about this or or nobody was thinking about this and we're taking action down this path okay i've picked up that most of what we've talked about seems to apply to cash crops but then there are other aspects dairy beef hog etc can all sectors benefit by adopting regenerative farming yes in different ways so so you know as i as i mentioned earlier you know, the way that we define regenerative agriculture is by the outcomes. And I think you can reach those outcomes in, in different sectors, but, but that happens in different ways. So, for example, I think there's a, a tremendous opportunity in, in the dairy and livestock industry to, to reduce the climate footprint and, and, and actually have regenerative outcomes, right? And what does that mean? It means, you know, more, you know, intentional or intensive rotational grazing. It potentially involves cover cropping and other things. So there's there's different, I think, principles that would be applied in different circumstances depending on the production system. But I think, for me, I think, to answer your question, I think all pockets of agriculture and, and food production could benefit from incorporating some of that thinking into, into the production system. So it's a thought system that should be applied across agriculture. It's not, you know, a particular crop specific, although how it's deployed and what you might get from it will vary depending on which 
sector you're looking at. Exactly, exactly. And so okay. the work that we do, the work that we do at Veda is <clears throat> is kind of breaking down some of those principles into the more specific applications of, you know, how it works and how it integrates into your operation on a, you know, days and weeks basis as opposed to the generalized principles. But yes, I think that the generalized principles can be applied, I think, across the board. That's good. Now, I'd like to ask a supplementary, and it's one that we can edit out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> because of what, the, the, where we were going. <clears throat> we know with other environmental aspects that we look at that there are a number of people who make the point that for a more sustainable future, we should stop eating meat and we should become more vegetarian. I'm not, I don't want to get into the philosophy of that argument or anything else, but I, I, I have heard an argument from somebody saying the initial problem with that is we wouldn't have the land that we need to feed everybody by vegetarianism. I just wonder, is there, is there a comment that you can make without getting too contentious on this? Because it does seem to be a major issue we see in the environment thing. Stop eating meat, you'll make a major impact on the environment. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of... So, so I like to approach this, it's a very contentious issue, of course, but I like to approach this yeah. from you know a couple of data points. The first data point, I think, is that as a as a consumer base, our consumption of of animal based proteins has you know been increasing significantly. So as a general population, that's that and that's been a trend that's been going on for a number of years and has probably accelerated also in recent years. Yeah. The second thing I would say is that you know if you look in different companies, so companies will do, for example, a a, and, and you guys know this, I think, you know, a materiality assessment of where yes. does their emissions come from. And for, for companies that have livestock in their supply chain, it's almost the, 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 the highest emitter in their, in their whole supply chain consistently is, is livestock. So that's another data point. And I think the third is, I think there's also more awareness of where from the consumer about and in general to be honest about where your food comes from and people are wondering more like you know that beef that i'm eating or the milk that i'm drinking you know where did that come from and how yes. was that how was that cow brought up and treated and and you know mm. was it you know was it in a cave like what was the setup right so i think there's more questions that are that are coming in, in that arena so I think those are some of the data points I would share. I don't want to pass in, you know, an opinion. And frankly, I don't have a strong opinion on on the matter. But I do think, you know, part of this relates back to kind of the agricultural practices. And I, I think it's, to me, I think it's less of an, you know, if, right? Like a yes or no, and more of a how. And and I think the the, the problem is that it's hard to, it's hard to surface that discussion when people are just worried that, man, what happens if my beef disappears tomorrow, right? Like that's 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 the that's kind of where the discussion I think is stuck right now, and I don't think it'll I don't think it'll go there, <laughs> frankly. Fair enough. 
Now, th thank you for that, because I think I did feel as we were talking about this, as we we're talking about, you know, agriculture in general, this is some, one of the pressures that we get in the field that we work in <clears throat> is the person in the street has some very strong opinions on what should or shouldn't happen. And very often those opinions aren't fact based. But, and I'm not suggesting there that there is. I think we'll I think we'll make it clear in this podcast we're not casting any opinions on should you be vegetarian should you not it's a lifestyle choice it will have impacts in some different ways but yeah thank you for that so Depeche like when we do the work that we do on energy quite frankly energy has an impact on carbon we always like to come up with a business case because you know, typically that speaks to the executive and, and they'll actually understand uh, that there's actually merit and value of undertaking the process. And so my question to you, uh, obviously, you know, you're in a business and you're focusing on regenerative farming or practices. Have you, what is the business case behind regenerative farming? Can you share that with our audience? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the the whole premise of the company, the whole premise of Veda, is that there is a positive business case for regenerative agriculture, and that is what we are trying to not only prove on a general basis, but also at a very regional, localized level, that you know you can actually reduce your inputs and have a more resilient farm. For the long term and that's kind of the core the core thesis all while by the way maintaining your your productivity and your yield at at least a similar level and so that is the goal of what we're doing and that's kind of the business case and and we think that there's lots of of course interesting trends around the space such as you know we talked a little bit about insetting in our previous episode i believe and but also just you know carbon markets and the pricing and value of some of these other ecosystem services, which is you know, the other positive externalities that are generated from agriculture, whether it's better water use or biodiversity or these other things. And I think those are just upsides in that business case. But the core business case for us is really around making better use of, of resources and having a more resilient farm for the long run. So picking up on that makes complete sense to me. So you, you would have to establish a base case of what it was like prior to regenerative practices. Mm -hmm. And that's what we try to do with customers. The challenge we have is a lot of customers don't track that. Mm -hmm. How have you substantiated, how, how have you gone about that to sort of convey this was your baseline? Like, do you have to go through that to each, or is it just, here's an industry standard, this is what we have found. But can you share with us how you can convey yeah. the, the benefits behind that, yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to have some baseline information because whether it's for the market or for the farmer, I mean, you know, everyone wants to see improvement, right? And so if you're tracking things, it's it's really rewarding to then see those, those things improve over time. And so we do that on our own farm. You know, it's just, frankly, there's no, there's no easy way around it. You do, you kind of do have to do the work and go through that baseline exercise. I think with with technology, there are better ways to do some of that. And so as an example, 
you know, you can through satellite imagery, you can get a lot of information on prior years, uh, kind of practices and and results and and, and information, which kind of makes ah. that baseline process a little a little less arduous, let's call it. But yeah, you do you do have to have some sort of starting point, right, and and a reference point to be able to confidently say, hey, I've improved something here. Right. Okay. Thank you for that. Well, thanks, Depeche, for a great episode on regenerative <laughs> farming. What is your biggest takeaway for our listeners? I mean, I, I would say a couple of things. One is I would consider myself an, an evangelist for regenerative ag, and I would encourage all those who are interested to, to look it up. And there's a couple of interesting programs on, on Netflix that you can watch that actually do a very good job at explaining regenerative agriculture and its potential. And and the second thing is I would say is try to get a little closer to the farms around you and and be empathetic for folks that are involved in 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 food production. I think everyone is really trying to do their best with the cards that they've been dealt and what we're trying to do is we're just trying to improve that situation a little bit for them. And so I think everyone's trying to make an improvement and and make a dent and uh, I would encourage you to to try and get closer to that and uh, understand where your food comes from. Thanks for that. Dave and John? I think Depeche has done a really nice job conveying that it's it's data points that are actually proving out that this actually works. It's not just someone going, okay, we're going to go back to what we did 100 years ago because that's what they did. They, they have statistical data demonstrating that it actually makes sense. And by the way, as Depeche mentioned, it actually reduces input costs that you know, they don't have to incur that they did before, tilling the ground, things of that nature, which is quite a bit of work. So it's a fact it's, and you're proving it and you're demonstrating it. And the more people hear it, the more they see it, the more it will be more common ground. I, I'll be really interested to see over time, the uptake, the how 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 fast will become just common practice like mm -hmm. on this whole thing. So I'll be see how that works out yeah i thoroughly enjoyed both these episodes because it's just been slightly out of our area slightly out of our area of expertise i'm a king gardener and i eat food that's my that's my and you my drink, qualification and drink wine too and, and i drink wine yes, yes. So, so that that's my but i think there was something depeche said earlier on that really resonated with me about regenerative farming and that is it's about working with nature and I think that's my big takeaway. You know, we need to do more of working with nature. And when you do that, it makes good business, business sense. sense. Yes. All right. Thanks for another great episode, Depeche. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all. It was great. Great conversation. Thanks so much, Depeche. Really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. That's all for today's episode of the 360 on Energy and Carbon podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to check us out on our website at 360energy.net and follow us on LinkedIn at 360energy, Inc. Tune in to our podcast on Apple Music, Spotify, Anchor, or other listening platforms by searching the 360 on Energy and Carbon. You can watch the video recording and subscribe on YouTube at 360energy, Inc. Email us your feedback at podcast at 360energy.net or comment on our LinkedIn posts. See you next week.